This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast on Blue Wire, go to bluewirepods.com today and check out all the great sports shows across the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network, like my own that you're listening to right now. So many more great ones. Go check it out today um, on today's show. Matt Wyatt of ESPN Radio out there in Mississippi, um, former Mississippi State Bulldogs quarterback. Uh, he is going to be doing Thursday film studies, college football film studies. And this week, we started off with JT Daniels and what he saw this season from the UGA football team and uh, how interesting their season actually uh, what how interesting their season really was. Um, so get ready for that. Uh, also, get ready for Derek Montilla of the Steel Cage. Uh, it, very excited to have Derek on, as I always am. Uh, we talked about Roosh and Ring of Honor and NXT, and we talked about this week in AEW and uh, that main event uh, with Darby Allen and Brian Cage. We talked about uh, the future uh, with Kenny Omega and the Elite, and you know the waiting room, the debut of the waiting room on the di- on uh, AEW Dynamite because Doctor Britt Breaker is awesome and must be protected at all costs. <laughs> but yeah, that and so much more coming up, uh, Uncle Darren. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. After watching Georgia in the Peach Bowl, something jumped out at me. You can divide Kirby Smart's season into three sections. Let's take a look. Wyatt gets the ball. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Wyatt toward the end zone. I was talking recently with my friend Chase Thomas of the Chase Thomas podcast, and this subject came up. By the way, if you're a sports fan, particularly college football interviews and such, I highly recommend Chase's podcast, and I'll link it for you in the description. When you look at Georgia this year, you can divide their season into three sections. Blowout wins, blowout losses, and two close one-score wins. I thought I'd take a closer look to see something similar in those two tight wins for Georgia over Mississippi State and over Cincinnati. Hey, I'm Matt Wyatt. Thanks for stopping by my channel where I use my experience as a player and broadcaster to explain things about football so that you can get more enjoyment out of watching the game. Six of Georgia's wins were blowouts by 27, 21, 23, 11, still two scores, 29, and 35. Their two losses were also out of reach by 23 to Alabama and 16-point loss to Florida. But the two close games versus Mississippi State and Athens and against Cincinnati and the Peach Bowl were both one-possession wins. So what I'm looking at in this video is Georgia's offense against both those opponents' defenses. Before we get to some film study, I know this. The stats are incredibly similar. Georgia won by seven over State and by three over Cincinnati. Total offense, 409 and 449. Passing yards, wow, within three yards. Look at the completions. 28 completions in one, 27 in the other. 38 attempts versus 39 attempts. Incredibly close. More TD passes versus State, but first downs, total plays, almost the same. Then explosive pass plays of 15 yards or more, 11 and 8 including almost the same number of pass plays over 40 yards. It's pretty easy to see. Not only did they win both the close games, they did it with almost identical offensive production. So the thing to do next is check the tape and see the similarities in Cincinnati and State's defensive scheme and effort against Georgia. Against Cincinnati, Georgia with two tight ends, one standing up and one down, and they go play action naked here bootleg and delay the tight end kind of in that intermediate zone there. But look at the defensive alignment for Cincinnati. It's a three-down lineman look, although it's not a true nose guard. He's really shaded on one shoulder of the center, very similar to the three-man front we'll see from Mississippi State throughout 
uh, these highlights. There you see the naked. It's actually waggle, I guess, not technically bootleg, but open up and continue out and, and roll. You see the delay coming right here where he's going to turn out and they lose him. They pull one defender up with the flat and have a tight end crossing the back. So he's going to have one option, two options, three options. That's what he's reading. But if we go back and look, again, we're looking at the similarities in the way Cincinnati and Mississippi State's defense played. Cincinnati personnel, three down linemen, three linebackers, in some cases four, in, in but walking a safety in there, and a lot of that 3-3-5 look. And varying the front, even though it's three down linemen, they've got their hands down, uh, either a linebacker or another player walked on that line of scrimmage to, in some cases, give them the option to have a four-man front when Georgia would go heavy with either one or two tight ends or possibly a running situation. And that's what you get. What Georgia did here is attacked with a little delay on that tight end underneath. He gets lost when he turns to find that zone. Everybody else has run out in coverage, and they hit him for a first down. Now if we flip it over to the Mississippi State game, you see here a similar type of thing. This is a defense that has primarily throughout the year been a three-man front, and they are, in terms of personnel, nickel personnel. But just like Cincinnati, State's defense is showing Georgia against a different formation, four on the line of scrimmage. Well, who are they? It's defensive end. Defensive tackle who's not a true nose. He's shaded off the center. And a defensive lineman who is standing up in an end position. And they have walked a linebacker down to give a look of a four-man front. Even though it is three, three, and then five DBs nickel personnel, State is adjusting and putting a four-man front in this particular look. And what Georgia does in a lot of this ballgame is they did it against Cincinnati also, is regardless of the look of pressure, try to find the one-on-one -on -one matchup on the outside. And right here, State's defensive front, uh, they show six in the box, right, against uh, five linemen, no tight ends, and the back is out in the route. So if the quarterback reads this as six-man pressure, it's more than his five linemen could block. But State's trying to confuse them. They are bringing both linebackers who lined up in the middle, but they are dropping that in. It's not technically zone blitz, but they are intentionally lining him up on the line and then running him out to be a flat defender. So they are technically then only bringing five, and Georgia has enough to block it. Even though they're only bringing five, the quarterback reads pressure. I don't think he actually read a dropper. He reads pressure and thinks, I'll take the hitch throw. Because uh, the safety is in the middle of the field, the corner on this side is giving a little more cushion, and they're going to take that cushion and just throw the easy hitch for a first down. Then you get one missed tackle, and it's off and running, big play. So, you know, some of the yards in the ball game for Georgia came after missed tackles. So, talking about missed tackles, we'll go back to the Cincinnati game. Again, a similar defensive look. And this time the corner is going to have an opportunity backside to step in here and make a tackle, but he's going to miss it. This is a running play against a, a loaded box, but because of a missed tackle, uh, actually three of them, they get a first down out of it. And if we were to go back and look, again, keeping an eye on similarities of the two defenses, Cincinnati and State, and, and why things were similar for Georgia. In the Cincinnati game, they used a little bit more tight end, double tight end. In this case, they have that because of the formation. It's actually a lineman and a tight end or two tights and the back to that side. Look at the formation on that three-man front. Similar defensive personnel, three-man front. They have four in the box with them, so seven. But with the corner walk down because of formation, too, it could technically be, you know, you could look at it and say they've got eight in the box. Georgia doesn't care, though, because they're accounting for it with their personnel. So we're shooting gaps. Again, it's attacking. We're not eating up blocks. Very similar to the Mississippi State scheme also. They blocked the edge with the tight end really well. It's sealed off. And so now what you have is one defender unblocked on the edge, two coming in there. That's corner and safety. And they're going to be out here in the open field against this running back. And 
Both miss a tackle right there, so it's yards after that contact. A linebacker comes over, more yards after contact. So Cincinnati gave up less than 50 yards rushing in the game to Georgia. State gave up less than 10 yards rushing total in the game against Georgia. And here's a little bit of a reason why we saw the missed tackles against the run for Cincinnati. State did not miss very many tackles in the run game against Georgia, and here's an example of that. It's kind of, you know, running against pressure, but but not a blitz, not a lot of blitz. I'll show you what I mean. You just get penetration and they blow the run play up right here. Uh, this was a constant theme throughout the night for Georgia against Mississippi State's defense is just State's defensive front linebackers against the run game totally playing on Georgia's side of the line of scrimmage. So this is going to be a zone play to the right, and we're going to block back with that H-back tight end to kind of seal the backside. That's the plan anyway. If you'll look, State, again, more of this three-man front that we're seeing in both of these defenses we're comparing. But on this particular play, it's a down-and-distance deal. They have moved that uh, defensive tackle a little bit more head up to the opposite shoulder. And on the snap, the nose guard is really the first to blow this up, and you'll see it for State right here. I believe that's 94 Crummity. Yeah, and he's shooting that gap. Again, attacking, not, not playing you know, responsibility. We're trying to penetrate. Also, pressure look off the edge. There's no waiting and seeing by this linebacker here. He's going to force the issue with the tight end coming back to block him. And those two players, you see the uh, center gets beat. You've got penetration in the hole where that zone play is trying to go right by it. So you clogged it up there. You're also going to get pinch on the backside because the linebacker's forcing the issue and they get a big tackle for loss. And it was a lot of this from this three-man front against Georgia. State's defense gave up less than 10 yards rushing. And as I said, Cincinnati, similar, they give up less than 50 yards rushing in the game to Georgia. Okay, now I mentioned the big plays. This was the similarity. Georgia could not run the ball against either Cincinnati or State's defense. Seeing similar schemes with three-man front, but Georgia was able with JT Daniels to find the one-on-one -on -one matchups and hit those big plays down the field, as I showed you in the stats. Here's an example of that uh, against Cincinnati. Cincinnati into the boundary, which means balls on the left hash, so the, this receiver on the short side of the field. You're going to go corner blitz. The corner's coming off the edge, and it puts the safety then in a position where he's got to come over here and cover whatever the route is of George Pickens, which turns out to be a deep route right here. So on the snap, corner blitz, there he comes. The rest of it uh, to keep an eye on, though, is protection. When they put the ball down the field, even though this defense for Cincinnati had been so good against the run, they couldn't get to the quarterback. Again, similar formation they used the entire game, it seemed like. Uh, Three-man front, shaded to the wide side of the field. Uh in this case, four linebacker personnel. They're not in as much nickel as Mississippi State's is, but a lot of that is because Georgia is using more tight end formations against Cincinnati. It still gives them a one-on-one, -on -one, but in this case, again, it's not against the corner, it's against the safety. Here comes a corner blitz off the edge. It is only a five-man rush with that corner, so they've got plenty of blockers. Because of that, the tackle is able to fan out and pick up the corner. The quarterback knows I've got it protected. I don't have to worry. And now it's a matter of Pickens running right by this safety, and he gets it done. And you got to put it on him, too. Step into it, throw it up there. It's the first big play of the game, and he makes the catch. So those big plays were the story in the Mississippi State game as well. Even though that defense was st totally stopping the run, JT Daniels was still able to hit the big pass plays. Now here's... A different look for State that's down in distance, first and 10, and uh, Georgia jumps in there, too tight look and a single back. State on first down, throws a curveball and goes with four defensive linemen and three linebackers go for a true 4-3 personnel, which they didn't do much trying to throw a changeup. And what they get is a safety that's on the hash to the wide side of the field that's going to be your deep defender. They're going to drop these corners and play a zone. Uh, but you get an offsides and they go free play. So that you jump, quarterback sees it, they've got it, they're going to play action and know they've got a free play, so why not take this shot up the middle of the field and see if you can hit it, and that's what they're able to do. Step in there, deliver it down the field, 
and a bomb against 101. He just make, wins a jump ball 50-50, and they did a bunch of that in this game. Okay, back over to those explosive plays against that three-man front of Cincinnati. And right here you can see it. They've moved into more of a nose uh, position, creating bigger gaps because they're going to try to bring linebackers and bring a little pressure. Uh, but plenty of protection going to be available to the quarterback, so he's not going to really worry about pressure right here. When you snap it, they actually do bring six. One holds up, but they bring six. But even if it's just a tight end that stays in, you've got enough to block it, but they're going to have, with play action, an opportunity to have seven-man protection with the tight end and the running back. So it really is a uh, comfort when you've got seven-man protection for the QB. And the other thing is you got bump coverage into the boundary, and safeties are going to bite on a little bit of a play-action fake and stay up right here. See what happens? Just a little bit of a fake to the side of the tight end, you get a run by and the bump man coverage on a deep route. And both safeties, there's nobody helping deep because they both get sucked up by that little bit of a play fake. So he's free release and just going to run right by and take the top off the defense. Protection is there, seven versus five, I mean, versus six, no problem. And you hit the deep ball down the field. Another big play example against Mississippi State. Now, you can't see the whole field in formation, but similar to what we saw from Cincinnati. They're stopping the run. Here they are in a pass situation, go straight up nose on a three-man front. It's only three linebackers, so straight 3-3-5 three, three, nickel, and they're going to get a run by because of the coverage. And what I mean by that is you can't see it off screen, but you've got three defenders okay, uh, deep and a fourth playing deep on that side, and all three of these linebackers are dropping in underneath coverage. This corner into the boundary is staying where he is. He's going to be an underneath flat defender. Therefore, this guy is going to get a free release and be running deep against a safety. So you watch the protection state only rushes three. They give him time. The other part of this, too, is the reason you're hitting big plays down the field. It's a quarterback who understands his eyes are important. You see where his eyes are? And they see it. He's watching the field side. He's holding everybody there where they are. And then the ball is actually going to come over here when he flips his head now and put it up the sideline. So this is one of those deep safeties responsible back there behind that corner who stayed up. And it's just a ball that's thrown uh, out beyond. It's a really a perfect throw you're going to see where uh, you know defender is sort of in position, but he's just getting beat on a 50-50 and run by, partly because you know the receiver makes a play and sees the ball, but the other is it's just an absolutely perfect throw. So even against a defense that was shutting down the run game, both against State and Cincinnati, JT Daniels was able to come in here and throw for just over 400 yards well, as a team and do it primarily with a bunch of big plays. Now, he was really good on third down passing against State and not as much against Cincinnati, but still a big day for him with no run game. I hope you enjoyed that, and please let me know in the comments if you saw something I missed. If you like this content, I hope you'll consider subscribing and hitting that thumbs up for me. It's a huge help, and I can't say thanks enough. If you have any ideas for future videos, let me know. Just reach out on social media. You can find me at Radio Wyatt. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live, featuring Slipknot, with Killswitch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com, part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start hustle is the perfect 
place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get you your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, oh yeah, the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or having an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. Uh, to apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, we're back on a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by the snack man himself, the coverer of the the just the really depressing sports scene down there in Arizona. It couldn't be like the Atlanta sports scene, where everything is amazing all the time. The teams win all the time. There's no heartbreak, only happiness. Can you imagine, folks, spending your weekend watching the Atlanta Falcons and the Tennessee Volunteers every weekend. It's it's a beautiful, great thing that never has any problems. Derek Montia, how are you? I, when was the last time an Atlanta-based team won a championship? Irrelevant. Um, okay. I was just curious. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's all about how close – like, my thing is – one of the best things about being an Atlanta Falcons fan is that, like, we can take solace in the fact that we are the best 4-12 and NFL team of all time. No, totally. Like, we are one of two teams to have a positive point differential in the top 15 that did not make the playoffs this year. Can you name oh, the you other can... one? Uh, no, I cannot. The, the Miami the Dolphins. Detroit... Oh, yeah, the yeah, Miami Dolphins, yeah. You sense. love it. Like, that's what I argue about with people all the time. I hate that the Falcons do this to me. I have to just argue. I'm like, no, they're super talented, and they're actually probably like a 10-11-1 team if they're well-coached. Like, there's no excuse. But this sure. is not an Atlanta Falcons rant session. No, not in this no, podcast. No, we're not doing that. No, we're going to rant about professional Nobody wrestling. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> we are going to rant about professional wrestling where you will apologize for misleading our listeners and my pro wrestling fan listeners for years on the upside of your friend, Drew McIntyre, who sleepwalking into a into a title match at the Royal Rumble against the guy who I hope beats him in 15 seconds, Bill Goldberg. My man, uh, Bill Goldberg. Gross. Derek, how, how excited are you for Goldberg to be the WWE champion once again? Do you consider to be WCW like your home-based wrestling organization? I mean, Is I'm, that why I'm looking at a WCW Nitro hat right now okay i figured you were <laughs> and it goes with your embroidered polo shirt that you're also wearing no 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 um, no, no, no 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 polo shirt i'm wearing a hoodie just went for my run not to brag but i run derek i run too chase i run too <laughs> don't think you're special <laughs> nobody, nobody cares that you run uh yeah no but the whole thing is preposterous it's a ridiculous match um especially considering that royal rumble is supposed to be one of their biggest pay-per-views of the year I understand that at that show, the the headline is the headliner is always going to be the Royal Rumble match. And now that they have the two matches, little else is remembered from a Royal Rumble. Uh, with that being said, it doesn't mean that you need to completely throw it away, and it also doesn't mean that Bill Goldberg ever needs to get a championship title match ever again. I don't understand who he has what information on. I don't understand exactly how he keeps. Uh, getting these opportunities where he just pops up and gets a world championship title match. I also don't understand how this isn't against Roman Reigns. Well, I, I think, think they're protecting Reigns right now. I think they're sure. waiting for and something. Think... They're just they're waiting on something with Reigns, either The Rock or Lesnar or something. They're they're waiting on Reigns. They're just it's a placeholder until WrestleMania. They don't want to do anything big for a while with him. 
here's the thing though going back to what you said it definitely makes it make more sense for him to actually be beating drew in this scenario Mm -hmm. considering that he's not going up against roman if this was just bill goldberg coming back to challenge somebody and then that person was going to beat them to elevate them in some way in drew's case it would be you know a heroic triumph over a re-emerging you know superstar one of the biggest superstars in in wrestling history Uh, however it's just still beating up an older man right like that's doesn't do anything really for drew it doesn't doesn't move the needle for people and, and help build his resume i've always talked about the resume building because that's the way that the reality shows that i watch go you mm. know you got to build your resume you got to mm. have your little thing so at the end when you're in front of the the jury for survivor or your your evicted housemates for big brother you have your bet resume built and Wait, i what is your favorite reality show uh, oh, yeah, Big Brother. Hands Never down. watch Big Brother. My yeah, girlfriend no. makes me watch um, Love Island and stuff like that. She's really into those. I do not watch any reality show where the prize is love at the end. That's <laughs> bullshit. I do watch reality shows where the prize at the end is actual money. That's mm. the reality shows that I watch. So, uh, Amazing Race, Survivor Series, uh, Big Brother. Those are my big three. And those are almost always on, so I can always get my fix. But right now is when I don't have it. So now is when I have to talk about it and use wrestling as as a as a metaphor. So with Roman Reigns, you know, a, a beatdown victory over Bill Goldberg does great things for him. You know, killing a legend, maybe retiring him, maybe making Goldberg put retirement on the line as a as a you know a stipulation for their match. Whatever the case may be, it does wonders for a heel, you know, that's trying to add those little ticks to his resume. All right, ruined my family, check. Uh, made everybody bow down to me, check. You know, uh, turned a baby face into a vicious heel, check. You know, and now he's at that, like, oh, killed a legend. So when Bill Goldberg rumors popped up, it made sense. I think everybody drifted towards it being a potential match between Goldberg and Roman Reigns. Um, that's why... I think you might be right. I think you might be onto something. And I think, unfortunately, Bill Goldberg might be uh, taking this one from Drew McIntyre. I don't know. I've also noticed that they're, they could be trying to like give Drew McIntyre a bunch of sh- title reigns to just make him more prestigious. But that's so not how I, you do any of this. No, that is the they, dumbest. Like, they, that, if that is their like, line of thinking. Oh, my God. Roman, right? Yes, they, that's where they messed up with Roman because snuck, snuck in a couple of <sighs> title reigns where all of a sudden he was like, oh, five time champion. It's this. But they don't mean anything. You can say it, the word five time champion, but it has no resonance. And it's just like it took them how long? Close to a decade to get Roman Reigns character right and book him the right way. Like the way they booked, I think it was Maxwell on RBR Wrestling, that uh, podcast you should check out, made this point, And I agree with it is that like the way they've booked Drew in 2020 like royal rumble on to now outside of the randy orton loss um is how they should have been booking roman reigns 10 years ago like this is exactly how they should have booked roman reigns from the start and just pulled the trigger they just pulled the trigger on drew just beating lesnar and like just let him see what happens like they just did he never loses he does all these like they did everything with drew that they for whatever reason could not pull the trigger on roman for and that's what ultimately cost him I don't know, man. I think Roman was just not a good face. He wasn't a good character. They didn't evolve him in any way, shape, or form. He just became the shield one man. The one man shield. Yeah, That's what he became. He kept the music. He kept the vest. He came out of the crowd. Everything that's been positive for Roman has been the change of character, the change of scenery, the change of everything, calling himself something different, not the big dog. That all helps, but he also is just never going to lose again. We just know that he just comes in, he kicks ass and wins. Like that is something that works for him and he doesn't talk anymore. People in the balls when he's down. And like, that's, there's all this just wonderful, like, you know, I cannot believe in 2021. If you like, if you told 2018 Derek Montia that like, Roman Reigns would be your favorite television wrestling character. What would you say to that person? I would say I can't wait to see how that happens. Okay. You know, because I don't I don't think I ever didn't think Roman had the potential. I think we spent two years on our podcast screaming about them needing to do something different with him. And then when they finally did, it's a big hit, right? So it's not really that big of a surprise to me. However, I will say it's a surprise that, 
when I look back on it, I don't know if this would have been as effective had he not had his time kind of being forced down our throat as the super good guy, right? Like, we just kind but of But he's still being this... forced down our throat now is what I'm saying. Like, SmackDown is the Roman Reigns show. It's and just great, it's better. I, I want, that's all I want. Get right. rid of all the other segments and just make it a two-hour Roman Reigns show because at this point, the story is being told in such a way that I, I, I it's what I want to see. I, I get what you're saying. It's it's definitely the anchor and it's getting to a point where it could be too much. Just like that was his problem again in the first place, the overkill having the main event on every show, you know, every pay-per-view was Roman for a while there. Um, well, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. No, 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 no. I don't either. I, I don't think, think he's what, losing him. When do you think, like what year do you think it is that Nerman actually loses clean next? When do you think it is? Cause I don't think it's at least for two more years, at least. I don't know if it's that long, but I would say WrestleMania next year, not this year. WrestleMania in front of a crowd. WrestleMania against The Rock, maybe. Mm. I don't know if they'd give... I don't, I don't think they'd let him they, lose to The Rock. I think he'd go I over. Know. I don't know. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I almost think that uh, he's in the status where he would really need to like build up their next big babyface superstar by having them be a maybe Kevin Owens. You know, Kevin Owens well, would no, be a good that's not comeback. happening. That, no, that's not on. happening. I love Kevin Owens. Maybe the best worker as a whole. Maybe the most complete package professional wrestler in the WWE right now. But they are not. They're it's not all about the sport. They're, it's all about the sport, man. He could be the next Daniel Bryan moment at a WrestleMania by beating the, the – by overcoming the how odds. How old is Kevin and, Owens now? Mm, uh-huh. He is – I'm curious. 30, uh, he's only 36. He's a sneaky young 36. Interesting. I, I thought he was older than that. So, I mean, I guess it's still possible. It's still possible. I mean, I would obviously sign on for it. Um, was that Does that mean he was like 31 when he had the John Cena debut? Was that five years ago? That Feels like a ago? lifetime ago at this Right, point. doesn't it? But like, yeah, was he that was. young when he debuted that way? That, that's crazy. I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, 2015. Yeah. So that, that's what yep. I'm saying. Like, he was actually, like, yep. that's crazy. Um, well, no, I'm, I'm 100% here for Kevin Owens all, at all times. I'm, more Kevin Owens is always a good thing. Um, but I do love the idea that Kevin Owens is like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't make any sense with Damian Priest. And then they're like, well, no, you got to do it. And then Roman Reigns is like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. You, we, we won't call up Damian Priest. <laughs> so we know the pecking order of, like, creative uh, creative freedom where it's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Um I am just 100% here for Goldberg versus Randy Orton at WrestleMania. That is that is all I want. Oh, what if it's a triple threat? Edge, Goldberg, Randy Orton for the WWE title, world title at uh, WrestleMania. Because I do think that's where we're heading, and I think we're going to get Drew versus Keith Lee in just a non-title singles blood feud at WrestleMania. I think that's where they want to go to. Yeah. I guess. Can you imagine if they do Sheamus versus Drew, though? Oh, God. The Seamus stuff is so bad. I I can't. I don't like the Seamus Drew stuff. Did you know that? Um, here's I had this in my notes, Derek. Did oh, you know that um, Drew McIntyre and Seamus were foreign? Yes. Okay. I didn't I know think... if the the WWE made that clear or not. Okay, just want to make sure. I think that they made it clear when you know. Seamus was the one that returned his family sword to him. Oh, right, right. Right. Um, it's funny because <laughs> they never paired them together. No. But one of the only times I interviewed Drew on the podcast, Seamus was over at his house. Really? And I thought it was funny because at the time, he wasn't even a WWE wrestler. They just lived near each other in Florida, and Seamus was over hanging out and like hmm. was just, you know there and so that was kind of funny to me um that they you know eventually did bring it around because i know that they're legitimately friends i think wwe is just very Mm heavy-handed when they do this stuff they make it very apparent that you know they want to establish a strong connection and relationship between these two individuals before turning it into a blood feud you know before turning it into something where you know, Sheamus costs him the championship and then Drew is so, you know, so blinded by his hatred and his anger for Sheamus that 
he, he doesn't even seek a, a rematch because he needs to go take care of this business with Sheamus that'll last three to four pay-per-views, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm not really for that just because they played that card too many times. It worked, you know, for certain situations like Ciampa and Gargano. It just doesn't work when they need to try to set this stuff up so short-term and temporary. Uh, I was surprised with how much time they put into Sasha and Bailey just to eventually do that, which we all knew that's what they were going to do from the day that they started kicking it together as characters on, on TV, you know. Um, but they were like, nah, we're going to make this go really long, you know, and almost make you forget that you knew this was coming before it happens. Uh, I, I don't know. And in, in a lot of cases it can work because if they put enough time into any storyline, the payoff feels like, you know, this whole ride was worth it, especially when, you know, they, they don't make it too direct. I think this might end up being one of those things that happens faster than it should, but also won't have the impact that they think it will, you know, uh, maybe it's just their way to kind of get drew out of the title picture for a little bit. I don't know, but I feel it's inevitable. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see Derek. Um, some happier news. AEW this week. Um, what was your, did you watch dynamite yet? Have you, are you caught up? I am caught up. Yes. Okay. What was your favorite segment on dynamite this week? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Dynamite. Can I tell you what mine was? Yes, let's hear yours. Okay. Um, the inner circle is just, they're really good at comedy. And the uh, the Sammy Hagar joke Jericho makes when Sammy Guevara calls him and Jake Hager's new team Sammy Hagar. And Jericho just being like, really? You don't you don't get it in Sammy Guevara? I, I love the good millennial boomer disconnect. I'm always here for that, uh, that kind of humor. Um and your little tag team slot was was a funny line. They're they're all good. And MJF is just he's got so many little lines. Like I definitely know what that is when um, Ortiz is talking about um, some sort of dish. I I didn't know what he was talking about either. I wasn't familiar with what food he was talking about. But MJF doing that was funny. Um, but my favorite segment was actually the waiting room. Doctor Britt Baker. Like I would just oh. like she has to get the title. Like she has to be the one ticket from Sheeta. She is a star, and she was so dang funny like it i love the wake up san francisco vibes to the waiting room i love just the over the topness i love the crowd in the front and the chairs and i i love the the shots at cody's neck tattoo um (laughs) (laughs) everything everything is good at nine months of no brandy she shouted out during the fight during the scuffle was hilarious like they're all very much in on what fans are thinking about all this stuff and i'm glad cody and brandy are good sports about this because um you know it makes it better but Britt baker is just she might be my favorite current thing about uh all elite right now outside of eddie kingston at all times because eddie kingston's just uh just the man I still really love what they're doing with Kenny Omega and Mm. the elite. I think that that is great. I think the bringing the good brothers in um, to basically make them, you know, the bullet club or the gun gang, whatever you want to call them. Um, Is that a thing? Gun gang? No. Isn't there already the gun club? No. Yeah. Yeah. There's the good. Yeah. Call them whatever you want. uh, Why can't they just be the bullet club? There's no way that's copyrighted. Oh, it's, you don't think so, huh? No. <laughs> you don't think that that's uh, already taken up by another company? <laughs> uh, I did like the fact that in that main event, you had the AEW World Champion tagging together with the Impact Tag Team Champions against uh, an MLW wrestler, a New Japan wrestler, and Griff Garrison. I, um... Who do you like more? Like, in that group? The Danny Limelight, Garrison, or Pillman. Who do you think is... If you had to guess, in the next five years, who is the biggest breakout of those three? Who would you guess? Um, I'm going to say Danny Limelight. Interesting. Uh, I would go Garrison. uh, Here's the reason why. The only reason why I say Danny Limelight isn't necessarily the fact, you know, he's not as big as those guys. He's not whatever. But that dude hustles in a way that I can't help but respect. You know, like... Yeah, I interviewed him on my podcast not too long ago, and he has just this dedication to to being something, you know, big, 
you know, you and I were talking about kind of our aspirations before we got on air and like this guy in his own head is, you know, the next world champ of, of whatever promotion he works for. And he knows how hard you have to work to get there. I think that there's a difference there between him and the other two guys, right? I think the other two guys don't have that same work ethic and rely heavily on the fact that they are, you know, big gifted athletes, but I don't know. I just see Danny being the kind of guy that would actually hustle his way to the top, which is what you kind of need in pro wrestling. You know, there's plenty of guys that are athletically gifted and beautiful, you know, with beautiful hair. There's plenty of guys that are children of a, of a former wrestler or former legend that it's, it's about the hustle. Interesting. Interesting. And he's Puerto Rican. So I got to back him because we come from the same small Island. Um, what did you think of the Darby versus Brian Cage main event? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I love, I love it. Do you like I the love... Sting stuff? No. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if anyone know. does. Is there a fans? Cause we don't have, we don't know the reactions. I just, I wonder what people are watching at home thinking about the Sting stuff. I, I think that even Sting is sometimes um, surprised that people like him. Um, <laughs> I, he said something about that, you know. I honestly, you know what I liked about this was, especially on, you know, regular television and not a pay-per-view, it, it's rare that they get me feeling like um, a championship can actually change hands. And this was one of those cases where I was kind of convinced. So Darby retaining was a pleasant surprise. Um, oh, the other I, stuff I, I had no doubt he was retaining. You thought eh, Brian Cage I, was getting it? I don't know. I mean, I think at this point, I know that Darby hasn't had it very long, and I know that they wouldn't want to take it off him this fast. I get what they're doing with him, especially putting him up against Team Taz, right? Uh, it's a bunch of gigantic dudes and yeah, Darby they just let him throw this, around and bleed yeah, and just get this little, thrown little to the tables. Boy. Yeah. Like it all makes yeah. sense. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I really like Taz. I like Taz on commentary. I like him as part of this group. I think he, he, he's good for these guys. I think they need to tell Brian cage to stop talking. Cause he just says the one thing all the time. And I don't know if well, he should never be to... talking. Like he's just not he a talk. Never. Yeah, just stop talking. Just stop talking. Um, He's also one of those guys where you see his body and then you listen to him talk and you're like, these don't add up. Um, but yeah, no, I don't care about Sting. And I, I like, here's, okay, here's what I thought. Sting, I think on the second night, was kind of being this condescending jerk a bit. Like he was this big, gigantic superstar that came to this little cute promotion and that they should be thankful that he was there. And I don't really know if they're still pursuing that attitude change. Maybe they decided to pull back on it because it was a little obvious or I don't know if it was obvious, but it seemed like it was obvious that he was going in kind of that direction. And then we get kind of the more heroic sting over the next couple of weeks. So I, I don't know if they're building layers to it. I don't know what, but I would have much preferred like cocky jerk old man sting that comes in and thinks he's the, the greatest thing, you know, and, and the savior of, of AEW in some way. And, and just has a big head, you know, I, I thought that would have been fun. Uh, I like the way that he looked at Darby's makeup. Like what, what's this half ass thing you got going on here when he first met Darby, you know, but instead of what he was like, was like, Oh, it's my son. Mm. You know, which I guess is what happened, you know, the other night. I, I don't I don't care for Sting and, and stuff like that. But I also like when they use legends like this in a mentor manager role for a younger guy. That's a similar person. Do you think AEW does people. enough with the legends managing people? Do you think they have? Uh, I, think, I, I, I think they do. See, OK, oh, I was so joking. I, I was joking. That's. I know, but okay. that's what I'm saying is like they do it way too much and then WWE refuses to kind of do it. Right, at there's all. a middle ground. Why wouldn't any of these right. companies find the middle right. ground? <laughs> like I wanted Undertaker to, you know, manage Alistair Black so bad. I just thought that was gonna be a really cool pairing, a very similar thing I to I can't talk about Alistair Black. It's just gonna make me sad. Well, a very similar thing to like um what they did with Pentagon and Vampiro in Lucha Underground. 
right? Just something where, you know, he, he could mentor, men, mentor him in the dark arts a bit. And then eventually, you know, Alistair Black can just become too powerful that he needs to take Undertaker out. And he, you know, could have even had a match with him at, at WrestleMania or something. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I definitely wanted a little more of that in WWE. And, yeah, you're right. W, uh, AEW is just bringing dudes in for name value that they know can't go in the ring. So at least they're not doing the WCW thing and sending old dudes with flappy tits out to like battle each other in the middle of the ring, because that got old to watch back in 97, but it's, you know, I don't know, I guess in a mentoring role, it's kind of cool. Just dial it back a little bit. 20 seconds on Don Callis. Yeah. He's the greatest. Don Callis is phenomenal, and I cannot say enough glowing things about Don Callis. He is... Who is the closest comp to him? Like, he is... There's some Bobby the Brain Heenan stuff with him, but, like, that man is... People love Paul Heyman. People talk about Paul Heyman all the time. Paul Heyman had, like, was a one-trick pony in his promos. It got very stale. Um, Don Callis is maybe my favorite heel manager and he is so damn good for Kenny. I love this so much. Don Callis is phenomenal. You're saying about Paul Heyman being a one trick pony. I think Paul Heyman knows exactly what he's doing at whatever time he's doing it and his intention. Well, no, I'm saying his promos, like everything, it gets very repetitive. He knows what works and then he just does it. He does the same thing. He does. He does. He does know what works, but I don't think he does the same thing. I think he does the same thing intentionally at times because he wants to be intentionally obnoxious. You know, I think the way that he would say Brock Lesnar's name and some of the repeating himself and shit like that, it's also just a classic wrestling trope so that when you really want those fans to hit those notes at like a WrestleMania or something, you already got them brainwashed with every one of the lyrics to those songs, right? Um, I think that Don Callis is different because he has a new, fresh approach on this whole thing, you know? I think he has the ability to have sat back for as long as he has and kind of taken in a lot of stuff and and come with a a new look at it, right? I will say that Paul Heyman already had an established idea of what he wanted to do, and you're right about that. It works, so he doesn't have to change or tweak it a lot. Whereas Don Callis is coming in kind of, I'm not saying new to pro wrestling or being a heel manager or any of that kind of stuff. He's just coming into it for this, you know, fresh and i think that the way that he talks and the stuff that he says is it's on on one hand it's it's so classic heel banter but he just puts you know a very realistic twist on it you know i i I love him i love him i love what they're doing i love the fact that you know all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's had this historically long relationship with Kenny Omega that's never been discussed before. Um, but I, I do remember a couple of times when he was commenting on New Japan rat matches, him, you know, bringing up his, you know, his history with Kenny. And I don't know how long this has been in the works, but it is a very well laid plan. And I think it's exactly what AEW kind of needed. I agree. I I think the crossing over to different brands is very smart because those whole rules about doing this, WWE established those rules, right? There's no actual rules about coming over and working with other companies. So WWE is now a victim of their own ecosystem where they have their own promotions all within their own thing. And that's all, that's all that they can work with. And to be honest, they've worn out that being a cool kind of crossover thing. So it's not exciting as much anymore when someone comes over from NXT to Raw or whatever. You're just like, oh, yeah, he got called up, you know, to have Kenny Omega show up on Impact or have the Good Brothers show up on AEW or, you know, to be thinking of potential down the road, you know, things where Kenny Omega is now the AEW champion, and the AAA champion, and he's kind of eyeballing Rich Swan's Impact Wrestling Championship and his former tag team champion and best friend slash golden lover is the new Japan pro wrestling world champion and intercontinental champion. I mean, if this storyline crosses over to him, just taking all the belts from everybody and eventually facing Coda for the new Japan, uh, heavyweight championship, that's incredible, you know? And I mean, that's going to change things dramatically on a whole for pro wrestling that 
WWE can't keep up with. That's just like all the promotions working together Voltron style against one evil in WWE. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Roosh. What are your, what are your sentiments about Roosh? Um, Derek, because it was rumored that, uh, his contract, I think along with Dragon Lee, both of their contracts are expiring at the end of 2020. And now it's been reported by a friend of the podcast, Raj Geary of wrestling Inc that uh, it was a money dispute and uh, he was represented by AAA, I want to say in negotiations and NXT was interested in signing him, but obviously it did not come to fruition. Um, what do you make of Roosh? And uh, are you kind of bummed that he will not be appearing on NXT in 2021? You know, it's weird because I no longer root necessarily for guys to go to WWE. It's becoming so it's such a mixed bag of experiences and I don't really know if everybody is going to be happy working for them. You know, I think all of us at, at this age and even a little bit younger grew up um, in, in a world where WWE was the, the top of the mountain for pro wrestling. You know, I just don't know if that's the case anymore. I think a lot of it is based on your own personal happiness and what you want out of life. I think WWE very much controls people. You know, and I think it makes it very hard for guys that are truly creative and truly unique entrepreneurs to, you know, thrive as much as they could there. Uh, I will say people that have their own ideas definitely thrive more than others in WWE because that's a big part of it. Uh, creatively, they're lazy at times. So when you're able to bring them ideas about a character you want to be or merchandise you want to have or whatever that case may be. Then, then you can, you know, be a definitely a good character. I also like the thought of, you know, Ingobernables in expanding in, you know, WWE and and that faction living on across all promotions like they should. Uh, but it, it, I don't know. I will say this: like I've been to Ring of Honor shows backstage, and I don't mean to ba- badmouth them at all. But Ring of Honor is not as big of a promotion as I ever thought that they actually were. Right. They're very small. Their staff is small. um, And it doesn't surprise me that they have, you know, money issues at times with guys that become top tier talent. It's it's not a big promotion. And I can't imagine that they make uh, tons of money like the other promotions that have, you know, major nationwide television deals can offer. Even Impact, I imagine, probably has a better situation going on right now than ring of honor you know so uh, at times it's actually impressive to me that ring of honor is uh, able to like reload and have the level of talent that they have there yeah that's surprising to me i mean i i excuse me i was at a show Mm. and (laughs) um who came backstage with their heads split open um oh man it was it was just an incredible medical emergency where someone had overshot on a you know suicide dive and hit their head and they came back and there was there there wasn't like medical staff on hand like people that work in the management of the promotion had to like help the guy medically and you know they they it, it was just it was amazing. And this wasn't like a small TV taping. This was one of their bigger pay-per-views in Las Vegas. It's, it's just not ring of honor. Just isn't that big of a promotion. Right. Yeah. So I guess getting back to my point, it doesn't surprise me at all that he left. And it also doesn't surprise me that it didn't work out with WWE. I don't think he's left. I think part of it is like, he's resigning. Oh, is he now? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like it seems like he's re-signing, and they offered more money than WWE did. Well, that's something that I will say that I've heard from people that are connected with NXT that you know the the money isn't great. Like the money isn't great for NXT. The money is great if you can get beyond that. Even within NXT, you can still make really good money, but that that starting point isn't great for a lot of people that have already been on a contract somewhere else, you know? Uh, and, and you mix that in with the fact that you're exclusive to WWE, whereas ring of honor is still going to let you work other promotions like triple, even AEW, like every other promotion is going to let you do other stuff. Even use your own platform. 
Right. Right. Definitely. You know, kind of build your own thing. Do do your own thing, you know, uh, while supporting you and also giving you an opportunity to get TV time and work within their promotion. It's a very different situation for um, AEW. I, I think the thing they were smart about, though, was snatching up a lot of indie talent that have kind of been stars worldwide for a number of years, like Santana and Ortiz and Chucky e. T and Trent and you know, kind of get these guys signed to decent, some decent amount of money where they can feel comfortable and not have to, you know, hustle the way that they did for years and years and years in their career. You know, they definitely gave guys, you know, especially indie guys that have, you know, done this for entirely too long that that opportunity first, before they went to the well of, you know, former WWE talent and people that were established names. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a couple other quick things I wanted to, to throw at you. Um, this week in Go Off Queen, a new segment I have uh, only instituted for this week, uh, Nikki oh Bella God. has offered herself a creative position in WWE. Big fan of this move. This is this is uh, the galaxy brain, thinking ahead. I like it from Nikki Bella, just being like, yeah, I think I would take a creative job that hasn't been offered to me in the company. I love how, it. This is how you do it, folks. That's, you know, I can only think of <laughs> one other person accomplishing a feat similar to this. Okay. And that's when Pam Beasley got sick mm. of being a sales representative for Dunder Mifflin and instead created the fake position that didn't exist of office manager. Yeah. And just randomly made that work somehow. Got herself a salary. Are you a Pam person? Oh, no. Pam's a terrible person. Yes. Um, I've defended Pam for entirely too long, and I can no longer do that. Jim's also oddly awful. Mm. Um, I've come to terms with Well, I think he also deserves some of the blame for flirting as hard as he did with an engaged woman. Like, he... Right. Like, the one part we don't talk about enough with Roy is, like, Roy had every right to, like want to kick jim's ass like i was just having i was just having a conversation the other day about meeting my wife and Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why i feel personally like i attracted my wife was because she was one of the only people i worked with who had a boyfriend hear me out on this okay i had no interest in her i wasn't being a jim i wasn't pressing up on her but what I was doing was being my normal, charming self. Okay. I wasn't nervous around her. I wasn't anything because mentally I wasn't after her. She was actually someone who I was considering to be a friend. And mm. that, oddly enough, attracted her to me because, as it's been said over and over and over, you know, being yourself is the best, you know, best course of action, right? You know, you tend to kind of not be that when you are trying to impress people or go out on dates with people or whatever, right. you know? So I, I, I ended up, you know, and, and wait, and, how did you, you know, move? Did you, did you, uh, did you break them up? Uh, she broke them up. Okay. Let's she, she, she broke them up. She's not going to listen to the pod. It's okay. Nah, nah. She went on like a vacation to Tahoe and couldn't stop calling me and stuff. And Uh-oh. I remember like, I was trying to play video games with my friends, but I was like, oh, hey, I don't want to be rude to this person. So I was investing, you know, proper time into mm. our friendship and relationship, which even furthered her her attraction towards me. And then, you know, nature took its course and we have a kid and we've been together for 21 years. Man, That's how that 21 goes. years. It's a long time. What video games are you playing 21 years ago? What were you playing? Uh, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Is that game that four? old? I want to say four. Oh yeah, that game's definitely that old. I wasn't even on. Yeah, this was like not even. Wait, what very... was the PS One? Has that been twenty years? PS One's been longer than twenty years. I want to say. Has it really? <laughs> Fuck, man, we're getting old. It's two thousand twenty-one, Jace. It's two thousand twenty-one. I remember yeah. being super excited about getting my PS1 and playing Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon, some Resident Ooh, yeah. Evil, all that yeah. kind of stuff, man. Resident Evil. I have a fr- I had a friend that dropped out of That's how I know cuz PlayStation 1 came out in 1996 um because I had a friend that dropped out of high school because of Resident Evil. That's a whole other podcast I could do. <laughs> that is He dropped out of high what school. What a tease. <laughs> because of Resident Evil. 
god. What and a not like he started no, he just he just got lost so lost in the game that he needed to like stay home and eventually got expelled from school over it. Oh my god. Yeah. There's not really much there. That's kind of it. That's the whole story. He's just an idiot that decided to like start skipping school so much that they wouldn't let him come back. I have a close friend who shall remain nameless who has a zero point zero college GPA after two Jeez. semesters of full classes. <laughs> Wow. God bless him. God bless him for getting up every morning and still going. No, 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 no. He didn't go. That's part oh, of the problem. Yeah. That makes sense. There's only one way to get a 0. You're 0. a higher score than that if you show up, right? Yes. Like, give you a point just for writing your name on the board? You get attendance, yeah. But, like, it's also, it, it's almost impossible to fail a class if you go every day. Like, it's almost impossible. Well, you're paying for it, so, yeah, you shouldn't. No, but... Uh, going but Still, one of the craziest things that ever happened in my uh, college life was not even just like one semester. It was two semesters. Of that's, old... a, that's really impressive. Yeah, that's <laughs> to be like, yeah, let's run this back. Like, uh... I'm gonna do. It. I'm gonna give it a second go. <laughs> oh man. Um. All right, man. Well, that's all I've got on this episode of Derek and Chase. Kind of talk about professional wrestling, but also sure, some but... other stuff. Um. Yeah. What would you like to? Uh, plug before we get out of here Derek. i don't know um i want everybody to be nicer to each other i can mm. plug that that would uh, be nice yeah for lack of a better word but i also don't think that's gonna happen Derek. don't raid the capital yes i'll throw that out there if yep. you did raid the capital i would suggest getting your affairs in order um mm-hmm. like i don't know whatever like whoever's gonna pay your cell phone bill um you know, that kind of stuff. I would say don't... I guess Elias is losing a tag team partner. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> we got a positive idea on that guy yet? I mean, I would call the LPI. If someone probably might want to. Oh, That's man. a deep cut yeah. for the, the real intuitive pro wrestling fans. I'm just going to say WWE seems to make it harder every single week for me to support them. And... Uh, I feel at times as a wrestling fan, like that impacts my love of pro wrestling. Oh, well, here's the thing. Here's what you got to do. So this is something that I I accepted a long time ago, especially if you're in a support college sports in 2021. Um, They're all bad. Mm. All the powers that be are bad. They're all universally bad. Like one's not bad. Like the NBA fans finally figuring out that the NBA is also bad. And Mm. that... um, Oh, I've known that for years. Yeah. Right. Like it's just one of those things where it's just, no, they're all bad. And most of your favorite athletes, probably bad too. Most of your favorite actors, probably bad. Like, I just move on. Don't you? It's so much better not to know. Will Leach, friend of the pod, favorite writer. Like, he made this point years and years ago about God Save the Fan, but like, we do not need to know as much as we know now. Like, this is only going to ruin things. It makes everything worse the more we know. I don't want to ever know. We didn't need to know about this stuff with all these guys because. There, I just want to focus on what they actually do on television. I want to just focus on them being a wide receiver. I want to just focus on. It's them happening being... with the Mandalorian now. Now the oh, Mandalorian. God. Now the one girl. She's a mega, and then the uh, he, wants, he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to work. He wants to just do voiceovers. I guess that's the rumor. But then that was dispelled. I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds feasible. Like if this I is was, not sustainable. This is my point. It's like this is not Scout, sustainable. Want to be? Why should I have to be running through the desert with a helmet on? This could be a stunt man. You could pay him significantly less than you pay me. I'll just go into a studio with some tea and I'll do the lines. I'll wear the mask in the studio and then I'll do the lines so it sounds like I'm under a mask. Whatever you need. But I don't. I don't need to be out on, like you want me. You want you want me to be out on, like out on, traveling during a pandemic to go be a guy under a mask. That's a very reasonable gripe to me. But I don't know if it's true or not. And the one girl being MAGA, I know that's true. I've seen her Twitter account. But that's a whole other thing. These are things that I don't want to care about. I just right. want to hug baby Yoda, and I want him to be protected at all costs. And I just want to enjoy this show, this thing that I love. I don't want all of this other stuff to impact it, you know? Correct. I can't, I can't even bring up old movies and stuff without people being like, oh, did you know the director of that? No! No! I didn't, and I don't want to. Oh, I'm right there with you. I am full-on blinder mode. Like, the more I don't know about everyone, the the better it is. But, like, just... I, the, the more I don't know is a positive thing. 
um twitter is like i'll use it for a self-promotion at this point posting the stuff that i need to post but like stay off of it stay off of social media as much as you possibly can um and just treat the people around you with respect and be nice and uh that's all you can really do but uh also accept that your league that you love and you think is great um is also bad oh so is your atlanta sports teams <laughs> um for sure for sure derek montia i'm glad we were able to connect today thank you for making the time as always my friend 2020 uh, effie award winner for best snack podcast don't forget it don't forget uh, what's your favorite snack right now my favorite snack Ooh. Uh, that's this thing called a no-name cake from a place called Mod Pizza. It's basically a ding-dong. Oh, there's a Mod Pizza down the street from my, from my that house they in make, That's If you go there uh-huh. and you see this stupid dessert that they have there, it's wrapped in tinfoil, looks like mm-hmm. a ding-dong, get it. It's the best dessert snack thing that exists on this planet right now. Just thinking of it makes me angry that I don't have one here in my house interesting okay yeah i'll look into it. i also really like wasabi uh almonds those are really good too that sounds really good yeah i'm a big almond guy i'm definitely checking that out big i'm not either nor am i a wasabi guy necessarily but the two together magic all right derek thank you as always good sir we will reconnect soon uh stay safe out there always a pleasure my my man absolutely thanks for having me man Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.